You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to MidtownColumbia.com. Glad to be with you. Uh, this morning. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I'm Ant, the pastor here at uh, Midtown Tonight. We're just glad that you're here worshiping with us uh, this morning. We're in the middle of, uh, of our, uh, or really towards the beginning of our series on 1 Corinthians. Uh, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 uh, if, if you have a Bible with you or you can use your phones or whatever device you might want to use for that. I want to just start off uh, by letting us know what the big idea is uh, for today. And then I'll, after I introduce that, I'll read through the passage for today and we'll just kind of work back through it and break it down that way. I want us to wrestle with one specific question today, even before we get into the passage that we'll start in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want us to wrestle with this question. How much do I value God's church? How much do I value his church? The church that he came and died for the church that, that, that Jesus said the gates of hell would not be able to prevail against. How much do you value that? How much do you esteem the church of God? Is it something that you cherish? Is it something that you love? Is it something that you're extremely grateful that you even get to be a part of and participate in? Is it something that you mainly participate in because you feel obligated to it? Is it something that's, that's nice but not necessary to you? Is it something that you participate in when you find time, but you're not going to make time for it? Is it something that you're grateful to be able to be a part of? I know we come from different church backgrounds in here, and, and some of us maybe grew up in the church, some of us maybe do not. We have different levels of value and esteem for the church. What we're going to get into today in the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 uh, is this view in on how much God values and cherishes his church and the work he does in and through his people in his church. Biblically speaking, the church some say with a capital C, will be all of God's people globally, worldwide together. That expresses itself in local churches in different areas, different towns, different cities all over the globe. Again, this is the church that Jesus, that Jesus came to die for, came to rescue, to draw back into himself. God loves his church. He loves it. He finds it to be very valuable. He calls the church his bride, his wife, is what he calls his church. He loves the fellowship of those that follow him. He loves the, the, the being united in community together and serving to love him and to love people the same way that we love ourselves. Today, I hope that as we get to the scriptures, that God would illuminate to us how glorious his church actually is. For us, is the church something that the value of it is primarily dependent upon how much it serves you, how much it meets your preferences? Does the church have inherent value in and of itself because of what it is, because Jesus Christ died and shed his blood for, or is it only valuable to you based on the services that it offers to you, based on the benefit that you can get out of it? Is it valuable in and of itself regardless of what you receive from it, or do we only find it to be valuable when it's meeting our needs, at least our felt needs? So we get into this passage today, you're going to see Paul, the Apostle Paul, refer to the church as the temple of God. 
Just so we're clear, Paul refers to two different things uh, in the New Testament as a temple of God. He refers to our bodies as the temple of God because the Holy Spirit lives within us and we are filled with his spirit as we walk with him. And we know that in the Old Testament, the temple is where God's presence was most, most fully manifested, most fully experienced was the temple. But also, as we'll see in this passage, he calls the church, the collective people of God, also he calls the temple. See, the temple is where you would go if you wanted to connect with and know who God is. The temple was where you would go if you wanted to, to worship with other believers, if you wanted to find out more about God, if you wanted to pour out your heart to God, if you wanted to see God represented in various ways, the temple is where you would go. And so when Paul in this passage, as we'll read, when he says that the church is the temple of God, there's significance in that. He's saying the place now where people go is not just a building, but it is a body. It is a group. It is a family of people that people come to now to know who I am. This is essential to his mission. This is essential to his purpose. How much do you value the church, the collective people of God, those who follow him, those who Christ has died for? I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll start at verse 1. I'm just going to read all the way through it. As we go through it again, I want you to be having that question in your mind, how much do I value the church? We're going to contrast that with how much does God value his church as we see in his word. Verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone, else built, and someone else is building upon it. Excuse me. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. That you right there, when he says you are that temple, it's a plural you. You all. The collective gathered body of believers, you are that temple. In this passage, Paul uses a few different pictures to, to communicate his main points. I just want to walk through them. The first one we see in verses 1 through 4, this picture of a baby as compared to someone who is mature. Verse 1 through 4 again, But our brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. You are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, 
Are you not being merely human? It's the first picture that he gives. He says, just like a baby, an infant is not ready to handle solid food. He says, you, I, I was only able to give you milk. And he goes on and explains a little further. He's like, or, or really at the beginning of that passage, he says, for I could not address you as spiritual people. We talked about that at the end of the sermon last week. That, that when I talk to you, I have to talk to you uh, as if you're someone who's not even a follower of Jesus. I have to talk to you the same way I would talk to someone who is in the world because that's how immature you are. And specifically, he's referring to the division that is among them. The division in the church, we talked about it earlier. He says, verse 4, when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? He's calling them babies because of how divided they are, because some are saying, well, I follow this teacher, and some are saying, well, I follow that teacher. Now there's this division, this jealousy, this strife that is going on within the church. He's calling this out because he loves the church. So he's going to call out anything that's dividing it and splitting it and causing it to break apart. And he's going to call them immature for being a part of it. He's going to call them babies for being a part of it because he loves the church, because God loves his church. And as they're working, as we've seen in the the previous two chapters, there's so much division that is going on. Anybody who loves the church is going to hate division that is within the church. Anyone who loves what God has called the church to do is going to hate whatever gets in the way of that, namely in this passage, the division that is going on within the church. He hates the division. Let's keep reading in verse 5. We'll see him instruct them and call them out of kind of this infatuation that they have with these specific leaders. And he uses the second picture of a field and gardeners in this passage as well. Verse 5, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So you see him calling them out of this division that is centered around these different leaders that they had attached themselves to that had broken their fellowship. Verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the, growth, gives the growth. Paul says, who am I? Who is Apollos that you would follow us? That you would say, I follow this man. He's like, who are we? We're just servants. I planted, he watered. God is the one that gave the growth. Why are you so infatuated with us? When it comes to the transformation that takes place in people's hearts when people become believers, when it, when it comes to the continued growth through the work of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, we're We're nothing. God does that. Why are you saying you follow us? This is Paul talking, right? The Apostle Paul, widely regarded by Christians and historians and theologians as arguably the most successful missionary ever. He says, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. He says, I'm just a servant. Yes, I might have planted in Paul's water, but we're, we're nothing. It is about God. You should be following God, not saying you follow us. Don't be going around saying, you follow me. I'm just a servant. God brings the growth. Division in the church and failure to be participants within the church reveal that you don't understand how important God's church is to him. If you would allow and even cultivate division within the church, like you don't, you don't grasp the significance, the importance of this new temple of God, the church, the people of God. The fact that someone would attach themselves to a specific preacher and teacher, and here's what they did. They would do it to the point that they would begin to look down on others who attach themselves to someone else. You've seen this happen before. Right? Where it's like, well, this person, this person really can teach. You you listen to that person? Did you hear what they said? I've seen this happen in church in a few different ways. The irony of it all, the horrible irony of it all, is that oftentimes when people do that, 
when they uh, kind of associate themselves very heavily with a certain preacher uh, and then look down on others is they assume themselves to be the mature ones, right? They, they assume that I'm the mature one when they're looking down at others. And Paul's looking at it's like, no, you're a baby. You're being a baby. You're being an infant. The arrogance that we have at times, that we would look down our nose on others who associate themselves with maybe a different leader. I've seen this probably the most with people uh, that would refer, to, not, and not everybody who would, who would claim this title does this, but for those who would refer to themselves as Calvinists. Think about this now. Paul is saying right here, he's saying right here, you say, I follow Paul. You say, I follow Peter. I follow Apollos. And he's calling them out for their immaturity. For those of you who might not be familiar, there's a dude named John Calvin a long time ago. Taught a lot of good things. He wasn't perfect. He died. And many people after him uh, kind of came in and believed in a lot of his teachings and a lot of the good stuff that he said. And then afterwards, this, this name of like Calvinist came to be a thing. Specifically, those who attach themselves to his beliefs on certain controversial topics. I'm sure other groups do it as well. In my experience, I've seen this very strong, this, this division, this arrogance, this looking down on others who, who don't ascribe maybe to some of the other non-essential doctrines, I would say. I'm not saying everyone who will consider himself a Calvinist does this. And I don't, I don't think it's wrong specifically just to say, yeah, I, I, I believe in the majority of what this one person taught. But when it, when it comes to a place of now I look down on others, now I'm going to belittle other Christians. Now I'm going to talk down and make fun of and insult and seek to embarrass other believers and followers of Jesus. Paul's saying you're being a baby. You're being a baby in the faith. You're being an infant. You think you're mature as you look down on others. And Paul's saying you're not mature. Because your connection to this certain teaching, this certain individual, this certain leader is causing division within the church, which means you don't understand what the church is really all about. You don't get it. You're a baby, Paul would say. There are others. It's not just Calvinists. I know of Lutherans who have done the same thing, who follow a man named Martin Luther and his teaching. Methodists who... uh, their uh, denomination, I would say, was started by John Wesley. I'm not saying it's wrong to be Lutheran. I'm not saying it's wrong to be Methodist. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm saying when you are so attached to it that it causes you to look down on others who are not as attached to the same person, preacher, teacher, leader, whoever it is. I believe Paul would say we're being babes in Christ, that we can't handle solid food. We haven't even learned how to be a church. Haven't even learned how to be a church. Having learned how to value the, the bride of Christ that he came and died for. And so when those attachments lead to prejudice, that is wrong, that is harmful, that is problematic. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, the second part of the verse, it says, This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. See, it happens so many times with Christians that have a high value for, for theology and reading and studying other various theologians that now I've, I've gained a lot of knowledge. I know a lot about God. I can quote a lot of scriptures. I've led a lot of Bible studies, and we get so puffed up. We think we can look down on somebody else like they need Jesus more than we do. We think we can look down on someone else because they don't have the same level of knowledge. Knowledge does not equal maturity. He says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. When our knowledge gets in the way of us loving another believer and leads to division, being so, so immature. It's a very spiritually dangerous place to be in when you feel like you can look down on someone else because they don't understand or, or know the things that you know. 
It's a very dangerous place to be spiritual. So much pride, so much arrogance, so much false maturity. You end up deceiving yourself unless you're not able to lead anyone else. Paul hates that this is going on in the church. It's hindering this, this glorious effort that, that Christ calls his church to be a part of. He, it's hindering the, the movement of this church, which Paul loves. He wants to encourage unity. He wants to encourage growth in the church. So he goes on teaching them about the rewards that God set up for those who build his church because of how much he loves his church. So he's already let them know how wrong and immature it is for, for this division, which is actually tearing apart the church, which is harming the church. So now he's going to go on and show how God actually rewards those who build his church. Verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one. Each will receive his wages according to his labor. We are God's fellow workers. He's saying there's some type, of, some type of payment, some type of reward system that goes on for those who work together to build God's church. Continue in verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul says the workers, basically he's saying the workers are going to get paid. Say, we're fellow workers, we're laborers, there's going to be a reward, there's going to be wages that are giving out. This is, this is God giving incentive for those who, who work together to build his church. Verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose. That day is the day when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ after he returns. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So he says there's going to be this testing. For anyone who's a believer about the work that we've done in the building up of the church. And he says, he basically says our building efforts are some done with with clay or with straw, right? That's going to be burned up when it's tested through fire. And there's some building that is done, he says, with with metal, sorry, with gold, silver, and precious stones. Obviously, that that will remain through fire. So basically, all the building that that was worthless will be burned up. It will not last. It It will not go on into eternity when it passes through the fire. But the building that was done of the gold, the silver, the precious stones, the, the, the building that lasts will bring about a reward to those who built in that way. He's so passionate about the building of his church that he's saying there's this consequence where everything is burnt up in the fire if, if, there, if it is not built the correct way. And he says there's this reward for all who do build rightly. Think about that. If I want to change my kids' behavior, I probably give them a positive consequence when they, do the thing, when they do it the right way, and I give them a negative consequence when it's done the wrong way, because I care, because I care about how they behave, because I care about their actions. So this is the same thing that we see God doing here. We see the same thing in, in many companies as well, right? Hopefully there's, this, there's some type of raise or promotion if you do a good job, but there's also negative consequences, maybe getting written up, maybe getting fired if the job is not done the right way. This is the natural thing that we do when we want to encourage people to act and respond in an appropriate way. Now, Paul's not saying if you're a believer and, and some of your works are not good that, that you're not going to be saved. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you will be saved, but your work will not result in reward if it's not done with faithfulness. 
As a pastor, I think about that fact a lot. I'm going to stand before God with, uh, and give an account for all the words that I have spoken to his people, over his people, for, for how I serve. This is something that's consistently on my mind. This is something that causes me to, to want to find that, that right balance of, of making sure I'm working hard, but also making sure I'm getting the, the, the right amount of rest so I can be recharged. This is something that's consistently on my mind. God isn't playing about this. This is something he obviously cares about. You can see it in verse 16 and 17 as well. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Aren't you aware that you are the the temple of God now? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God is, sorry, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. This is not something God is playing around with. This is something that he is serious about, the way his church is treated. The, the, the way people interact with his church, he cares tremendously about this. Now, just to, to be 100% clear, I believe when he's talking about those who destroy God's temple, there, there were many at this time who were coming in preaching false doctrines, trying to destroy the church. These are people who, who did not know God, did not worship God, were actually haters of the true God. He's saying there's destruction that is coming their way with, because of the wrath of God, because he cares. This is a defensive father saying, you harm my people and you harm my church, you're going to have to deal with me. He cares about his church. Do we share that concern? Do we share that love for the church? God is saying, I am holy. The temple is holy. The current current temple now, my people, the church is holy. I care about it. If you're coming to destroy it, you're going to have to deal with me giving rewards and warnings for all based on how they treat and respond to and work within the church. But here's the thing. A lot of that passage, is, Paul is talking about himself. He's talking about Apollos. These are, these are preachers. These are teachers. These are pastors that are within the church. But the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, everybody who's a member of a church has a role in building the church. Not just have a role. I say everyone who's a member of a church is in some way building the church. Very important to note that in a culture, in a group, in a family, everybody who is present has a role in the, in the distinctives of the culture of that specific family. Here's what I mean. When I was growing up, uh, my dad is uh, pretty low-key, pretty chill, pretty laid back, uh, doesn't really get very loud, generally speaking. Maybe if he's laughing, but generally speaking, he doesn't get very loud, even when he's angry. Even when he's angry, his volume actually goes down when he's angry, so it's a little bit scarier, Right? Like when you know you're in trouble because the volume gets a little bit lower, you got to come real close here. It was terrifying. It was terrifying growing up. But now I see the same thing in my brothers, in myself and my brothers. In general, pretty chill. We get excited about things, but in general, don't get overly riled up. Like you can say that my dad built that into us. You can say that, that, that because of his, and you might say, well, that's because he, he's a leader in the church, so of course that's going to happen. And I'll say the same thing. So I, my, uh, my older brother, Kev, who most of y'all know, uh, he... Uh, at some point when he was a child, fell in love with sports. I mean, just loved sports. My, my parents didn't really care for sports before then. Myself, my younger brother didn't really care about sports. But Kev loves sports, so now I'm starting to get into sports a little bit because he's telling me about stuff, and now I'm kind of getting into it. My little brother, he still doesn't love sports, but because me and Kev talked about it all the time, if he was going to be in the conversation, he had to start talking about it. And then my, my, my dad specifically started liking sports more when he heard us talking about it. And so Kev, because of this love that he had, affected change, Within our family, he wasn't a parent, obviously, right? He was a child, but because he was a participant, because he was a member, he actually had a role in building into our family. 
got to a point that if you were in our house at any point in time, I mean, there were sports conversations every day in our house in one way or another. Every day, somebody's talking about sports. Because there was somebody there who loved it, who wouldn't shut up about it. Right? That, and thus affected the culture of our home. Always talked about sports in our house. That said, if you're a member of our church, you're a member of a life group, and you're apathetic about participation, you are cultivating apathy in our church and in your life group. You're building it. You are building it. You're making it. Why? Because you remember, and every member plays a role in what is going on and what is the culture there. You, you, you're making it. You're cultivating it there just, just by your presence. A lot of people think you can only like, affect a culture of something by what you do actively. But no, what you do passively as well sometimes is even more powerful. If you're in your life group meeting and the whole time you're on your phone, somebody new comes in, it's like, they don't care about this group. They don't care about what's going on here. They're just on their phone the whole time. They're not even paying attention. They're not participating. They're not saying anything. They're not sharing anything about themselves. You are making your group more like whatever you are all the time. You are building, all of us, building. You can't help it. It's the way it's supposed to be because God has given us an ability to affect good in, our, in the community that he has called us to. If you're always late, if you're never reaching out to people in your life group, if you're never encouraging anyone, if you're never participating, if you're never opening up about what's going on with your life, you're cultivating that in your group. I can't tell you how many times I've met with someone, and they're like, I'm just, I don't know, I don't, I don't really like this life group I'm in, and nobody really reaches out to uh, anyone. No one's really reaching out to me. I was like, are you reaching out to anybody? Well, no. You're making your group that way. You're building that into your group. You are part of the problem. I don't know any other way to say it. Everyone is building, passively or actively. I'm going to jump back to verse 10, point out a few things that we can glean from how Paul talks about his ministry in building the church. I want us to, to learn how we can go about building the church. Verse 10 and 11, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I'm going to give four application points and just pull from the text here. First application point, number one, join a church. Be an actively engaged participant in a church. A lot of Christians today... A lot of Christians today don't feel a need to be committed to a church. And it's absolutely ridiculous. It's like you can find nowhere in the Bible that this, this Christian walk is to be lived out alone. But there are so many who have no interest in truly being committed to a local church body. It's absolutely ridiculous. And then in the New Testament, generally speaking, there's, there's two different types of Christians. There's those who are members of the church and those who are being sent out to start new churches. That's pretty much it as you go through the book of Acts. There are those who are members of local churches and those who are being sent out to start new local churches. Two categories. Now, I'm not saying if you're not a member right now, then you're obviously in sin, because I think there needs to be prayer, there needs to be thought put into the process of joining a local church, because it's a very important and significant step, but it's a step that everybody needs to be seeking to take. Every believer needs to be seeking to take. Issue is, we look at churches like we look at grocery stores. 
See, for me, just tell you a little bit about the Frederick household. We go to Costco about once a month. We like to buy in bulk, and then you know, you can get a lot of stuff uh, in bulk. It's a little bit cheaper there. Publix is like three minutes from my house. So if I just need something last minute, right? I, it's convenient. It's close to the house. So I go to Publix, just, just run in real quick, but just buy a few things. My, wo- my wife loves Trader Joe's. She's on that whole organic kick. I'm kind of, eh. I'm with it, but you know, it's, it's how we treat grocery stores, right? Which one we go to is based on what we need in the moment. What I feel I need in the moment, that's, then that's, that's the one I'm going to go to. And if they're providing for me what I feel like I need, then I'm going to invest a little bit there. If the worship leader is our church, hey, this worship leader is so good, so I'm going to be there consistently. That, I mean, that, I just love the way they do worship. You can feel the spirit. You can feel them. Church B, man, the teaching is so good. So when I feel like I, get, I really got the, the, need that teaching that, that, that I want, then I'm going to go there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attend and participate a little bit there. We've reduced the church to something that we exchange our, our time and our presence for goods and services with. Instead of seeing it as a field that we're supposed to be working in, a building that God is strengthening us to build, and churches everywhere are suffering because of it. Churches everywhere are suffering because of a lack of willingness of people in this day and age to want to commit to a specific body. Churches are suffering and not accomplishing all that God is calling churches to. Because we see churches like grocery stores. You're not committed to a grocery store. You just go to whatever grocery store has the needs that you have in that day. You're not committed to it. It's not something you're a part of. It's not something that you're called to. You just go there because it's got something that you want. Oh, that we would esteem the church of God the way that God does. Oh, that we would understand the love that Jesus has for his church as he goes to the cross to die, to reconcile her back to himself, that he calls her his bride. He's committed to his church. He loves his church. He will sacrifice his own life for his church. He loves his church. He cherishes his church. He loves his church so much that he tells husbands, hey, you want to know how to love your wife? Look at the way I love the church. He loves it. He loves the church even though it's not perfect. He loves the church that sins against him over and over and over again. He loves the church that even though he has laid out the perfect way for us to walk, we we reject it constantly. He loves his church. Man, there are so many Christians today that love criticizing the church more than they love the church. That love to criticize the church more than they love the church that are very good at calling out the church when everything is done wrong, but won't commit at all to anything to be a part of the solution. Why? Because if it's a grocery store and it doesn't have what you think it's supposed to have, you can be critical. Of course you're going to be critical. It's a grocery store. You're supposed to have this. But if it is a family you're a part of, if it is a group that you are called and committed to, that you love and that you cherish, you're going to bear with the church. You're going to bear with the shortcomings of the church. Join a church. I should have said join a church and become a participant in the church. You're not a participant in a grocery store. You're a participant in the church. You're a member of a church. Second point, build carefully. Build carefully. Paul says, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. He says, I, don't, I don't do this recklessly. I don't do this carelessly. As, as members, what I want us to do is think about how am I building into the church. I want to be careful about this. He says, I, I, use, I practice care is what Paul is saying in how I went about building the church. I didn't do this mindlessly. I did this with preparation. I did this. I, I was trained. I knew what I was doing. Paul says, like a skilled master builder, he had learned how to do ministry in a way that was biblical 
He knew how to encourage believers in the Lord. He knew how to show non-believers that Jesus is the truth. He knew how to walk with people through difficult times. He knew how to raise up leaders within the church. And he knew that just because you have good intentions doesn't mean you know how to build the church of God. So he came as a skilled master builder, he says. He was thoughtful. He had a plan. He wasn't going primarily off of his opinion, but off of the truth and wisdom of God. He built carefully. Be careful how you build the church. Be careful what you're instilling and building into the culture of the church. Application point number three that I would say, build with Christ as the foundation. With Christ as the foundation. Verse 11, he says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We're all building in some form or fashion. The question is, what is the foundation that we're building everything on? We want to make sure that Christ himself is at the heart of what we do. You want to see that in the sermons here? Generally speaking, at some point in the sermon, you're going to hear this talk about what Christ has done for us, what he's doing in and through us, and what he's going to do when he returns for us as his people. We're trying to lay the foundation of Christ. Make no mistake what we are about here. Make no mistake. We're about the glory of our Savior Christ who came and died for us and is coming again to take us to be with him. That means it's not built about me. It's not built about you. I'm not the foundation. You're not the foundation. We don't do ministry for status or respect or to be honored in any specific way. We don't do ministry to try to get people to think well of us. That's a trap. It's very easy to, to, to do ministry more so to glorify ourselves because we want people to think highly of us. We want people to think of us as a loving person, as a servant-hearted person, as a, as a humble person. We need to get our minds off of ourselves and onto him. That means when, so the same thing I said about myself here is when, when you're going to hear preaching from this pulpit, you're going to hear a lot about Jesus Christ and what he did for us. The same should be true of you. As you're with your life group, as you're with people in the church that you're in community and in fellowship with, what should be coming up in conversations that he died on the cross to redeem us from the guilt of sin, from the power that sin has over us, that he's going to take us to a place where we'll never know sin again when, we, when our salvation is consummated. The, 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 the topic that he came and he died, but he was victorious over death and he was risen from the dead should be coming up in our conversation if we were actually building with the foundation of Christ. I, say, I would say these things will be coming up frequently. I want to read verse 12 through 15 one more time. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Point number four, build in ways that will withstand the test. Build in ways that will withstand and test. Be faithful in how you build on the foundation of Christ. There are ways that, that, that you can build that will result in reward, and there are ways that, that, will, that you can build with, with straw or hay, as, as Paul would call it, that will be burned up, that will, not, that will not withstand the testing that is coming. How are you building into our church if you're a member here? If you're a member of someone else, how are you building into that church? Is it ministry that's built on the foundation of Christ that will last? If you're in our church and we have all of our members being a life group, would your life group leaders say that your group is healthier or less healthy because you're in it? Can we be real? 
If everyone in your group had your commitment level, your faithfulness, your level of service, your love for other members in, your, in the group, your willingness to, to make time for fellowship for others, your desire to encourage others in the group, if everyone in the group was full of you, would it even be a group first? Can we start there? Would it even be a group on top of that? Would it be a group that you would want to be a part of? Would it be a group that, that, that is obviously being built on the foundation of Christ our Lord? Paul wants us to examine how we build. Would it be a group full of apathetic Christians that really just only participate when we feel like it and we expect to be served more than we expect to serve? Man, I, I remember, uh, I wish he was in here, he's doing kid time right now. When, uh, when Jomo joined our group, our life group, I remember him having an immediate impact on our group. I remember him coming in and he was just raw with where he was at. He was just open, honest, different levels of brokenness that he had experienced in the past in his life, things that, things that he had been, been dealing with. And, and here's the thing. He wasn't no more broken than the rest of us. He was just honest about it. He was just quicker to just come in and share what was really going on with him so we can really get to serving and helping each other. You know how many people, how many Christians suffer in silence because they're unwilling to share what's really going on. You know how many Christians don't get the help that they could really get because they aren't willing to be honest first with themselves and maybe with others and even with God about what's really going on. But, but when he came and he was just really open about where he was, he made sure that it, it, it affected our group to the point that there are now less people in our group that are struggling in silence because of his example. New to the group, first day at a meeting with our group. I remember our group changing building in the church, building in a way that's doing true, authentic, genuine ministry. For our church, do you, do you look at opportunities to serve in our church as ways to store up riches for yourself in heaven, as Paul says here? Is that your goal? I heard a brother say one time, I strive to live for two days, this day and that day. He says, I'm trying to do everything I can this day to make sure I have as many people and rewards with me as possible on that day is what he said. So I look at two days on the calendar every day. This day, what can I do today to try to ensure that there are as many rewards and as many people as possible with me on that day? found that to be incredibly inspiring. It, it, it begins to shape the way that I think about ways that I serve, and I want to ask you to consider the same thing. Have you ever thought about the fact that when you serve with Kid Town, host team, setup team, praise team, production team, when you serve in your life group, when you serve at one of the work days that we have, when you encourage a member in your life group or a member in our church, when you, when you teach a child in our church about Jesus, that you're storing up eternal treasure that will never be taken from you, that will never be taken from you, that you're actually gaining treasure and reward every time you act and serve faithfully to build up the church of Christ. Man, this should make us want to serve. You're going to be in heaven for a trillion years, and you're going to just be getting there. You're just going to be getting started. Stack up treasure for yourself. In this life, if you, if you give your life to storing up treasures for yourself, in this life, biblically speaking, you're called unwise, you're called selfish, and you're probably called idolatrous. If you are living your life to store up treasures for yourself in the next life, in the Bible, you're called wise, you're called a good steward, and you're called faithful to God himself. Jim Elliott has a quote that I love that sticks with me. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I don't know what might cause you to not want to build faithfully 
in our church. I don't know if, I don't know if, it's, if it's the personal possessions that you have. I don't, I don't know if there's relationships that you're overly tied to that are pulling you away from what God might be calling you to in the church. But, fam, we should be sacrificing. We should be willing to sacrifice our time, energy, our preferences, our favorite TV shows, our money, our very lives for the building of our church. That, that the resources that we have in this church and in, in, in our lives today that we are stewards over, they're like seeds that we hold in the open hand to God. And when we plant them in ministry, they blossom with fruit that, that will bear for all eternity. They blossom into rewards that, that can never be taken away from us. That, that, that Jim Elliott quote, it's like, so, so you're telling me that if I sacrifice and give up the things that I have now, that I'm not going to be able to keep, that I'm not going to be able to keep anyway, that I will gain reward that I will never be able to lose if I just serve faithfully and building up the church of God? There's no bigger win. That at the end of his life, we will go on to be with him. That we, we will go on to know no more pain, no more suffering, no more sacrifice when we go on to be with him, if we would first, obviously, follow him, know him, love him, and then serve to build a church that he cares about so much, that he cares about so much, that we will gain eternal reward with him. The one who is truly wise looks at what we have in this life and says, this is just a means to an end. This isn't an end in and of itself. This isn't what's truly good. This isn't the, the best of the best thing that I'll ever receive. This, this is a means to, to me gaining treasure that I'll never lose. So, yeah, I'll sacrifice my money. Yeah, I'll sacrifice my time to build his church. I, I, I'll use my energy to build up his church because it is storing up for me a reward forever. This is just a means to an end. What we have in this life is just like seeds that we plant and grow and bear fruit for all eternity. Man, that we would love his church the way he does. And really loving his church is just really coming to understand the way that he has loved us. Understanding his love for his church is really just understanding the love that he has shown to you. It really comes down to coming down to a deeper understanding, a deeper knowledge, a deeper embracing and rejoicing in what he has done to save us. And as you begin to understand more and more the love that he has shown to you individually, and begin to realize that that's what he did for us, that we might be united first with him and united with each other, I believe he'll grow our love for his church as well. So we grow in appreciation for who he is. We grow in appreciation for his church that he died for and that he is working in. Let us put our eyes and hearts on the one who died to build his church. Let's put our eyes on him. So many things in our time today that are distracting to us, so many things that come to capture our attention. I love how Hebrews talks about us fixing our eyes on him, that we will stay fixed on the one he came. He died for his church. He's coming back to redeem his church and take his church to a place where we will know no more sin and no more suffering. May we love his church the way that he loves us. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful for what you've done for us. Grateful for the love that you have shown us as your people individually, as your church collectively. Father, no one could save us the way that we needed to be saved the way you have. Father, no one could protect us from all the hurt and harm that sin has caused in this world and sin has caused in our own lives, Father. Father, because would you grow our love in you so much that we love and care about what you love and care about? 
Would you raise our, our value of your church? Would you raise our value of the people that you have died for? Would you raise our value of any work that builds and edifies your kingdom and your church, Father? Would you help us to see it the way that you see it? Father, the enemy would love to distract us and not even care about the church and not even care about really being committed and being a part of a church. We just care about things that benefit us, Father. The, the world would teach us that it's best for us to just focus on storing up treasure for ourselves in this life. God, we need you. We need your power. We need you to convict us. We need you to, to bring us to a place of repentance, Father. Would you help us to love your church the way that you do? Father, whether that's this church or if you're calling people in this room to another church, whatever local body that might be, Father, would you bring conviction to our hearts, Father, that we wouldn't be able to, to say no or turn away from what you are calling us to because we understand how important your church is to you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. We're going to partake in communion together today. Uh, communion is just one of the reminders that we have of how much God loves us and, of course, how much he loves his church as well. We know that he came and, and the, the night before he was taken away to be crucified, he sat down with his disciples, with his friends. He broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. That he poured, that he poured the, the wine and said, this is my blood that is shared for you. And so as we partake in communion, we want to do it just in remembrance of what he's done, remembrance of his love for us, in remembrance of the fact that he cared enough to sacrifice himself for us as individuals and also us collectively as his church. I'll, I'll pray one more time and then we'll partake in, in communion together. Fathers, we take this time together. Will you give us a greater understanding, even as we hold the bread in our hands, Father, would you give us a greater understanding of your love for us, of your love for your church, Father, of, of, of what drove you to die for us? Father, I feel like we're very quick to forget. I feel like we're very quick to just move on to, to other things and be overly distracted by other things. Would you make this time just a sweet time for us together today to just remember what you have done for us, what you have done for our church locally and for your church globally as well. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you would.